What's up, everybody? Everybody settle down. Episode two. We're back. We made it. We made it past the pilot episode of the show. Charlie Marlowe. That's Eric Messersmith. We got a lot to talk about. The Iowa caucus. Everybody's going crazy. Everybody's talking about that. Eric, I know you're very excited to uh, break it all down. <laughs> yeah, it kind of went how we expected. I mean, I think last week I said what most people thought, which was Trump would win easily. It turned out he won by a record margin. And DeSantis and Haley would fight for second. I thought DeSantis would leave the race, even if he finished second, which he did by by a, a slim margin. But he's he's staying in there and soldiering on, at least for now. I, I can't imagine there's any path to him for him at this point to the nomination. I think it's only a matter of time. But he's he's stay, sticking in there for now. Okay. So we talked last week about how this is – it's kind of a sport in the way that we cover it. And I'm watching this, and I'm like – even though this is important, this is politics, this is our democracy, but also you kind of want it to be interesting. And I'm thinking, is this now not going to be interesting at all, right? I mean, after the, the freaking Iowa caucus, where one state, only 14% of registered Republicans vote, and everybody's like, it's over now. It's over. <laughs> Donald Trump right. is your nominee. Everybody better drop out. And I think we all figured Donald Trump would be the nominee. I guess the the sports viewer in me was hoping it would be kind of more interesting over the next couple months. Is there any chance that it still could be a Nikki Haley could just kind of get just make it interesting, basically? I think it's, it is possible. I, it, look, she has to win New Hampshire. I think a close second in New Hampshire probably isn't going to do it. I mean, we talked about Haley kind of has the same, I would say, expectations and investment in New Hampshire that DeSantis had in Iowa. It, it, typically, this is what happens in these presidential contests. Most candidates don't have enough money and resources to devote everything to both of those states. So they usually pick one or the other other to focus on. For DeSantis, it was Iowa. He went all in. He went to all 99 counties. He had the endorsement of the Republican governor, the endorsement of the top evangelical leader in the state. I'm sure he spent most of his resources there. He had, by all accounts, a great ground game, and he lost by 30 points. And so <laughs> when you go all in like that and you get your ass kicked, I think that's when you have to reevaluate your campaign. And Haley in New Hampshire is kind of like DeSantis in Iowa. She has the, the support of the state's popular Republican governor. It's an electorate that's better suited to her. In Iowa, it's a lot of evangelicals, which is up DeSantis's alley. In New Hampshire, it's more of a secular crowd. It's more independents are allowed to vote. There's going to be a lot of moderate and even voters and even probably some Democrats crossing over. So it suits Haley much better in pretty much every way. She's devoted a larger chunk of her time and resources to New Hampshire. Her polling is pretty good there. Uh, and so she has a chance. She has to win, I think. I think a close loss isn't going to do it. doesn't mean she has to get out of the race because if it's just her and Trump, you might as well stay in for a while because who knows what could happen, right? I mean, he's facing all these indictments. He's almost 80 years old. There's no reason you have to get out. But in terms of there's a difference between staying in and having a realistic chance to win. And I think any hope that she has of a realistic chance to win comes down to New Hampshire. If she wins New Hampshire, she's still the underdog. Don't get me wrong. This is still Trump's party. He showed that in Iowa. He's going to have a big advantage. He's going to be the favorite, even if she wins. But if she wins, she's in the game. Okay, so if people don't know, breaking it down by the numbers... Uh, so Trump gets 51% of the vote in Iowa. DeSantis gets 21% about. 
Haley gets about 19% in third. Vivek, we're going to round up. He gets 8%. I do think if we're looking at surprises, I think we both thought Haley would finish second. So the fact that she finished third, bit of a surprise. And also, you know, maybe I didn't hear him right, but I feel like all along, Vivek Ramaswamy always said, I'm in this thing till the end. <laughs> so the fact that he got 8%, which is pretty good for a guy that most people had never heard of up until probably, let's just say like a year and a half ago. And the fact that he dropped out, and you probably saw this, he's already right there in New Hampshire stumping <laughs> with Donald Trump. And if, if you watch Vivek, it looks like he's going to be Donald Trump's attack dog moving forward. So I guess Vivek dropping out, DeSantis not dropping out yet, and Haley finishing third, I guess you had a little bit of a couple tidbits of interesting pieces, even though everybody assumed Donald Trump was going to dominate. Yeah, I think that's true. Look, everybody says they're in it till the end until they're not. I mean, Chris Christie was saying <laughs> like a week ago that I'm in this all the way to the convention and then like a day later he's out. And so that's what happens. The, the Look, these people haven't they, they have a high opinion of themselves, right, which is why they're running for president in the first place. They've worked incredibly hard, invested tons of time and money, and you're all in on that and you probably believe you're going to win and then reality hits you in the face and that's what happened with Vivek that's what I thought was going to happen with DeSantis but you know he's he's trudging along and the other thing is money I mean most people run for president until the money runs out and when you don't produce the results donors stop giving you money there was a report I think a couple of weeks ago that Vivek sold like 30 million dollars in stock to keep you know funding his campaign he probably and i'm sure his wife didn't want him to keep doing that so there comes a point where the money just dries up you have no realistic chance at the nomination and it's time to get out and i think that's probably look if if the polling's correct and, and there was a suffix poll today which is the only new hampshire poll i've seen so far that takes into account christie and ramaswamy not being in the race that had trump 50 haley 34 and desantis five now if that holds anywhere close and you're DeSantis and you lost in Iowa by 30 points, the state you bet everything on, and then you follow that up with 5% in New Hampshire, you're not pulling very well at all in, in anywhere else, really. I mean, I just can't imagine he stays in the race after that. And at that point, you know, it's a two-horse race. And that's why I say Haley has to beat Trump in a state that allows for an, an open primary. The other thing to remember is Iowa and New Hampshire often split. I mean, you go back and look at recent history, George W. Bush won Iowa in 20 in, in, in 2000, and then McCain won New Hampshire, and the race was on. In 2008, you had Mike Huckabee win Iowa, and then McCain won New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because remember Mike Huckabee. Mike 20, Huckabee won a state. That's just uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, in 2012, Rick Santorum won Iowa. That. And then Mitt Romney won New Hampshire and won the race. And in 2016, Ted Cruz won Iowa. And then Donald Trump won New Hampshire and went on to win. So New Hampshire voters are, are very independent-minded. They often like to do the opposite of what, what Iowa does. And so this is Nikki Haley's hope to make it a race. But really, it is, as you said, the sports fan in me kind of just taking all of my personal opinions out and just saying, you know, we know we don't have a race on the Democratic side. It would be nice to have something, at least through Super Tuesday, that was interesting in terms of a horse race. But I think it's got to be this week. Haley's got to make the case, and she's got to show that she can actually beat him. Because you already see the coalition. What happens in these races, too, is once results come in, they start people start to coalesce. They start to get in line. Marco Rubio 
on the eve of Iowa endorsed Trump. <laughs> Ted Cruz has now endorsed him. You, you're starting to see if you follow a lot of conservatives on social media, even some that didn't necessarily love Trump. Many of them are saying, hey, it's time to rally. They're clearly not Haley fans. So the momentum is rolling now for Trump. Haley has to stop that momentum in New Hampshire, in New Hampshire, or for all intents and purposes, this thing's over. And uh, my main goal of this podcast and show is to always try to be fair, try to be as fair as possible. And Nikki Haley, I saw, was getting a lot of crap on social media for that speech she made where she said, and, and this is another part of, you, know, you and I have both worked in the media. You got to give full quotes and not chop them up to try to have an agenda. So she makes this speech and she goes, after tonight in Iowa, this is a two horse race. And so everybody's ripping on her because clearly she finished third in Iowa. Well, if you listen to the full quote and speech, she says beforehand, if you're looking at New Hampshire, I believe she mentioned South Carolina and Iowa, this is now a two horse race. She could have said it better, but it's, it gets back to what you said earlier. If Ron DeSantis put just everything in his war chest into Iowa and still loses by 30 and the polling, which you also mentioned, which is he's only getting 5% in New Hampshire for all intents and purposes, Ron DeSantis is done. He needed to just have a home run in Iowa. He didn't get it. And that's what Haley meant. She didn't say it perfectly, but if you really watch the full quote or the full speech, she mentioned South Carolina and New Hampshire, where clearly she's doing much better than DeSantis. So DeSantis is probably out after New Hampshire. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, I think so. And, and you're right in terms of the context of the quote. It, look, it happens to serve her purposes, of course, because she wants that one-on-one -on -one with Trump, but it's also accurate. And, and you saw right after she announced she would not debate DeSantis unless Trump showed up, which, of course, he's not going to do. So ABC and CNN have both canceled their pre-New Hampshire debates. And if you watch the debate, which I did, I watched some of it last week between DeSantis and Haley, and it was it was basically worthless. It was two hours of them just calling each other a liar and insulting each other. That did <laughs> neither of them any favors, but in particular Haley, because she actually has a chance. And again, I want to be clear when I say a chance, you know, I like to do percentages. We did that last week with with Biden talking about if he'd be the nominee. I would say 15 percent right now is Haley's chance to win the nomination. And that will go to close to zero if she doesn't win New Hampshire. If she does win New Hampshire, maybe it goes up to, you know, 20, 25 percent, something like that to show. Because right now there's then that, that inevitability that happens in these races. And as I said, you start to see some of the elites, senators, congressmen, governors, they start to coalesce and, and the ball gets rolling and the money dries up for everybody else and it becomes inevitable and everyone everyone the pressure mounts to hey let's rally around the person who looks like the nominee so we can focus on the general and that's an inevitable pressure and the only way to stop that is to actually show hey i can beat this guy like i can show you that in a state where independents and moderates vote i can win because haley does have an argument there was a, a cbs news poll that came out last week that had Trump beating Biden by two points. In the same poll, Haley beats Biden by eight. And if that continues, as we're going to get more polling here, if she beats Trump in New Hampshire and they start pulling the race head to head and she's consistently doing that, where Trump and Biden are basically running even and Haley's running six, eight, ten points ahead of Biden, 
then that gives her a legitimate talking point to say, look, I may not be your first choice, but I can win this thing. I probably will win this thing if I'm the nominee. And if it's Trump and Biden, it's a toss up. Who knows what could happen? Yeah, I think that's accurate, too. And I'm not just trying to base it on how I feel. But for me, I really just want anybody that is not Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Honestly, I I really do. And I'm even saying I'm okay with with the country going conservative this time around for the presidency. I'm not this naive person that acts like my side or the other side has to win every single time. You and I are both in our 40s. Look, for about half our life, it's been a Republican president. And for about half, it's been a Democrat. And that's going to continue. I I agree. Even though Joe Biden is a super weak candidate for different reasons than Donald Trump, in my opinion, Donald Trump is just as weak or maybe slightly less weak is is the best way to say it. But for all his negatives. I mean, Joe Biden has his age and he has the economy and all that, but everything with the election and January 6th and all these indictments and all that, to me, you have two super vulnerable candidates. And that's why you don't have to love Nikki Haley, but it's just cleaner. It's just, there's less baggage. And I think at this point, a lot of people are like, I'm so tired of Biden. I'm so tired of Trump. Okay. Nikki Haley, she seems okay. Maybe she'll be worse. I don't know. But like on the surface, a lot of people are just like, give me anybody but those two. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And look, we talk about Biden's approval rating, which is in the high 30s, low 40s, depending on you know which survey you look at. When you ask people, do you have a favorable, unfavorable view of Donald Trump? He's in the low 40s. He's His personal approval rating is right there with Biden's approval rating. Both of them are incredibly unpopular. And that is the line that Haley had the other night that I, I saw her in a speech. I think it was yesterday in New Hampshire. And she basically said, look, Trump and Biden are both roughly 80 years old, which is true. They're both incredibly unpopular. And they both have all of this baggage, some of it for different reasons, but still incredible amount of baggage. Like it's it's inter- it is so interesting to me that we are likely in a country of 330 million people to nominate these two people as our, our two major party nominees, both of whom maybe only could beat the other one. Like maybe the only person Biden could beat is Trump right now. And maybe the only person Trump could beat is Biden. And that seems like where we are headed. Now, look, to be fair to Biden and Trump, some of that is because they are so well known and they have taken the slings and arrows for so long. Like Nikki Haley or anybody else coming up right now, you give the media and the attack machine of the other side six months and their negatives would be sky high too. you throw whoever you want in there. Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama anybody on the Democrat side or the Republican side and just wait a few months and their negatives would be, I I think, close to what Trump and Biden are, but not quite there. And that's the point Haley's trying to make is I'm I'm a better shot to win. And look, the Democrats had a similar dilemma in 2020. Biden was not loved by the base of the party. I think he finished. We talked about I, I think he was fifth in the Iowa caucus in 2020. Didn't do much better than that in New Hampshire. Democrats weren't enthusiastic about Biden, but what happened? They analyzed the situation and they made a decision, which was a smart decision, which is who gives us the best chance to beat Trump? I just want to win. I want our team back in the White House. I don't like Trump. Who gives us the best shot? 
And they did the smart thing. They rallied around Biden had a Super Tuesday. They knew that maybe they liked Bernie more, some of them, but Bernie wasn't going to give them the best shot to win. And they got the victory. Republicans have a similar opportunity now. It's it's pretty clear based on not just some of the polling, but just common sense that Nikki Haley is a much better general election candidate than Donald Trump. She doesn't have the legal baggage that he has. She's, what, 20, 30 years younger. She's a woman. She's a minority. She has all of this stuff. She knows how to talk about abortion, like in a way that seems moderate and reasonable. She has all of these things that can appeal to moderates and independents that would make her a strong favorite to beat Biden. Certainly not a guarantee, but a strong favorite. And yet, knowing all this, Republicans are most likely going to be like, I don't care. I want Trump. And that's just an interesting decision to make. It really is. And it speaks to how a lot of this with Trump himself and his movement is not about winning and losing. It's about purity and loyalty. And and there's no starker example of this, because if you have any objectivity at all, of all, at all it is plain as day that Nikki Haley gives you, I don't know, 80% of the Trump policy positions, 90% of them, and a much better chance to win. But yet, she's being most likely rejected by the base of her party. Okay, speaking of loyalty, and I don't know if it makes sense to, to look at the Iowa vote and then try to carve it up and say, okay, if this guy drops out, if this guy drops out, because Iowa is a different state. We know it's not a great cross-section of America. Hey, I love Iowa, but it's evangelical. It's, it's not exactly like Michigan or Wisconsin or, or Pennsylvania. So New Hampshire will give us a better look into what's going on with, with a more moderate, independent state, as you said. But I'm curious because is it fair to say most of Vivek's voters are going to go to Trump? I'm curious about DeSantis, though. If and when he drops out, what percentage goes to Haley? What percentage goes to Trump? And then also this whole endorsement deal. What I find fascinating is, because I think we both agree that Trump is going to be the nominee. Well, tell me, I mean, ever? Have we ever had a more important VP pick? Because whoever Trump's VP is, if we think very good chance Trump wins the presidency, he can only go four years. Whoever Trump's VP pick is, is going to be the front runner to be the president in 2028. And this is where the whole loyalty comes down to. I mean, Trump can basically nullify candidates. If, if you're not loyal to me right now, if you don't endorse me, and this is whoever, Ron DeSantis, Vivek, Nikki Haley, if you don't play ball, I will make sure the MAGA crowd never, ever supports you. And I think that's very interesting because all these folks also have a political future. Haley's young. Vivek's very young. Ron DeSantis is young. How they play the loyalty game with Trump is going to say a lot towards 2028. So all those things I said, and, and I guess the, the first part I'm interested in your opinion also is, is how that DeSantis chunk breaks down to, to Trump and Haley. What do you think? Well, I think it's, it's kind of a moot point right now because it's so low. That that DeSantis chunk, if it's five percent in New Hampshire, is probably about the same in South Carolina. At this point, his support is so. I would think that most of it would break for Trump. 
I mean, I would okay. I would think 60, 40, 70, 30. It breaks for Trump just because he and Trump are much more aligned in terms of style and, and personality and well, maybe not personality, but style and to some degree substance. I feel like there's a lot of overlap there. I mean, we know a lot of Trump's supporters, their second choice was DeSantis, but they weren't going to they weren't going to abandon Trump. So I I think it it would hurt Haley in that regard, but it's a net gain for Haley to get him out of the race. And the reason is because whatever support that she would lose on the margin from his supporters is made up for in the fact that she wouldn't have him DeSantis constantly attacking her, which is another phenomenon of this campaign, which goes back to Trump's, I think, very smart decision to skip the debates. You had these two candidates, and that's why I was struck by their debate last week pre-Iowa. They are just savaging each other, like in personal terms, and just <laughs> pulling up things that are, you know, that one of them said or a position they took 10 or 15 years ago that really in the grand scheme of things is insignificant. And they're spending all of this time when both of them are getting crushed by the guy who's not there. I mean, they should have been spending all of their time turning their fire on Trump, but they didn't do it. Part of that was just the face to face nature of the debate. But part of it is what you said earlier, the hesitation on all of these candidates other than Christie and I guess Asa Hutchinson, to really go after the guy who is the leader. I mean, it's crazy that, like you mentioned Vivek, DeSantis had a good point the other day. He said, I've never seen it. He's talking about Vivek. He said, I've never seen a guy or a girl run for an office by essentially campaigning for somebody else. Yeah. And that was, you know, we know what Vivek was doing. I mean, in his heart of hearts, do I think Vivek ever thought he would be the Republican nominee? Maybe. But, but probably not. He was setting himself up for a career in a Trump administration or in you know conservative media. And that's what a lot of that's what a lot of these campaigns are about. At the end of the day, you want to try to win. Sure. But, you know, if you go too far and you cross Trump, then it's going to be really hard for you to ever be successful on the national stage in this party. And that's kind of the dilemma that I think. Christie, or I'm sorry, DeSantis has been in his whole campaign and Haley as well. So how about this then? We're already we're already thinking about VP picks. This just shows you. I mean, we're we're one state through. We haven't even had a real primary, and I'm already more focused on who Trump's VP pick could be. What do you think about the strategy of that? Because to me, so if you see Vivek giving his speech last night in New Hampshire, everybody's chanting VP, VP, and all that. And I think the fact that Vivek is young would add some value. But to me, Vivek is just a younger version of Trump. So to me, Nikki Haley, if they could actually get along, about five, 10 minutes ago, you mentioned all of those positive qualities, even if they're just superficial, of the reason that people like Nikki Haley or she'd be a better general election candidate than Donald Trump. I think all of those things also make her a very good VP pick for Trump. Because if you don't like Trump, Haley's a little softer. Again, the way she talks about abortion, Trump can be kind of the, uh, you know, the hammer guy. Haley can come in and, and bring a little softer side. And I'm just talking about from a strategy standpoint. It seems like to me, Nikki Haley would bring the most value to the ticket as a VP if she doesn't win. What do you think? I think she would be the overwhelmingly smart pick with one caveat. And the caveat is there is a segment of 
hardcore conservatives. And I think I mentioned this last week on the show with talking about Tucker Carlson, who speaks for a lot of a lot of you know Trump supporters on the right. He said he would not support a Trump Haley ticket if Haley were the VP pick. Now, do I think he might be maybe would back off from that if it got down to it? I think probably so. I couldn't imagine Tucker Carlson not supporting Trump in the general election, no matter who his VP is. But I think there would be a backlash to her because she is seen. It's crazy. This seems crazy if you listen to her talk and you know her policy positions, but she's seen as a sellout and almost a Democrat by a chunk of the in the I, I would call them the online right, the people who are influential conservative opinion makers, the people who are online, who are active on X, who do podcasts. By and large, the ones I follow, they are not fans at all of Nikki Haley to the point where they see her as not that much different than Joe Biden. Now, that's crazy because by any rational measure, she is way different than Joe Biden. Sure, maybe they agree on Ukraine. They probably disagree agree on pretty much everything else. But it doesn't matter what the facts are as in 2024 so much as what the people perceive. And that is the perception. So that's the caveat. But again, where are those people going to go? They're not going to vote for Joe Biden. Come on. They're going to vote for Donald Trump. He's their guy. They'd get over it. They, there would be a outrage on the right at first, but they'd get over it. But in terms of the broader electorate, it would be the obvious smart play for Trump for all of the reasons we've already mentioned. Not to mention the conser- the Republicans who are like the old school Republicans who still represent a chunk of the party. The people, you know, the Mitch McConnell types, the, the Jeb Bush types, people who are not Democrats who agree with Trump on a lot of policies but can't stand him personally and and may may not vote for him if he were the nominee. I think Haley would help bring them back into the fold, kind of how Mike Pence did in 2016 because people thought, you know what? Maybe Trump is a little crazy, maybe he's a bomb thrower, but Mike Pence is a, a right down the middle rational sensible guy and he's the number 2, so it can't be that bad. And I think Haley might give peace of mind to some of those people on the margin if she were the pick because she seems like a reasonable responsible person so i think haley would be the obvious choice if it's not haley i think it has to be another woman or should be another woman i think my guess is christy gnome will end up if i had to pick right now my guess is that the governor of south carol south dakota that is who Trump will pick. She's basically been openly campaigning for that position. He's appeared with her in South Dakota. To me, I think if if I had to bet right now, she's the overwhelming favorite to be the pick. She checks some of those boxes, but she doesn't have the kind of crossover appeal that Nikki Haley has. So I, I think that Haley would be the obvious choice, but probably won't be the choice. And uh, you can carry South uh, Dakota with uh, Christy Noem. No, (laughs) I, I agree with you. And, um, you know, Carrie Lake, to me, she's too much like Trump to add value to a ticket, right? She's kind of the female version of Trump. So I don't think, I don't think that really uh, helps the ticket. Whereas a gnome, as you said, or, or Nikki Haley, what do you think about Ron DeSantis? Do you think, I mean, for his political future, I wonder too. Like, I never again will write anybody off because we'll say, oh, is. Is uh, is DeSantis done? Well, I'm thinking Joe Biden has been running for president since he was 40. Right. He, he right. I mean, he's been running Literally. for president for 40 years, and he finally won when he was almost 75, 80 years old. So I'm never going to write off DeSantis. You know, maybe he has to kind of take a break for for five, ten years. But what do you think about his future? Does he have to endorse 
Trump and start campaigning once he drops out? Or, or what do you think he will do? What's best for his political future? I also wonder too, like Trump, Trump can call you up and be like, hey man, if you don't endorse me, like I said, I got 35% of, of, of the country, really, whatever it is. And, and they're going to do whatever I say. You, you better help me out or you're never going to have a freaking future in this party. Yeah, I think DeSantis will do what he should do for his own narrow political interests, which is he'll drop out sometime in the next two weeks and he'll endorse. I, I mean, I would be shocked if he doesn't endorse Trump. How quickly he does it, I don't know. I mean, maybe he takes a, a couple of weeks and and but he will come around. He will he will support Trump and he should for his if you're talking about just his political future, because the Republican Party now is permanently changed. And Donald Trump is in his late 70s. He's not going, you mentioned he's he's only got one term left constitutionally that he can serve. But, you know, who knows, right, when we get to 2028, what he may decide to do about that. But if he goes, you know, off into the sunset, if he does happen to win again, there's going to be a need for an heir apparent who is like Trump, because I don't think the Republican Party, at least I shouldn't say ever, because as you said, politics changes so much so quickly. But I can't imagine in the next couple of decades, the Republican Party going back to the George W. Bush party, a pro-immigration largely, pro-big business, pro-free trade, pro-interventionist around the world. I, that Republican Party, it's not dead. There are still people who believe in that, but they are a vast minority in the party. Like Trump has permanently altered this party and made it almost unrecognizable though than what it was in 2012 like Mitt Romney I mean this is not Mitt Romney's party anymore it's just not and I don't think it's going back to that and so there has to be a person to be the heir apparent of that for lack of a better term MAGA movement and Ron DeSantis by what he has done in Florida has positioned himself to be that guy and I think if Trump were not in the race I think DeSantis would be the nominee I bring this up as a, we'll call it a 75% joke, uh, 25% truth. But I just found it funny as I was watching the results from Iowa, which, I mean, it was called within seconds and people are saying, oh, you can't do that because people are still voting. But that's not what really caught my eye. I just found it funny because election integrity is something that we all talk about. We've talked about it so much for the last four to eight years. And I'm watching. Now, the good part is, it's all on uh, TV. We're seeing it. But I'm, I'm thinking, we're worried about election integrity, and they're dropping names into hats and, uh, and popcorn tubs, <laughs> right? <laughs> like an old lady writes a name on a piece of paper, puts it in a guy's trucker hat. Somebody else has it in a popcorn <laughs> tub. But you know what? I kind of like it, too. Like, I am a traditionalist. There's a folksy nature to the Iowa caucus. Like, I don't think it makes any sense at all. No, I don't think it makes any sense that an election could be essentially over after 14% of Republicans vote in one state, which is Iowa. But I also find it funny as I'm seeing people throwing names into a hat and the popcorn tubs. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you as, as someone who, you know, really loves politics. There is something quaint about the notion of, of, of Iowa, New Hampshire and the way they do it. And, Look, there is to be fair to Iowa, and I'm not a fan of the current system. I want to be clear. Like if I if you put me in charge of designing a primary system, it would be completely different. But I also recognize the pro side of the way it's done now, and that is that these voters get a chance to see these candidates up close and personal for months. 
And they have, and they take that, most of them take that responsibility seriously. And I think there is value in that. But if you were designing a new system, I mean, you would not have a system where so such a tiny percentage of people in a couple of states, especially with a caucus system, which is so antiquated, as you pointed out by today's standards, where you have to show up in free, literally this, this time, especially in freezing cold temperatures. Minus and, 50 wind chill. My, right. And, and so in a country of 330 million people, we can essentially have one of our two major presidential party, uh, one of our nominees decided by 110,000 people in a tiny state. It makes absolutely zero sense if you were starting a system from scratch. I'm curious of, of your thoughts. You said earlier, I know that that New Hampshire likes to go oppo of Iowa. And I always think about this is more big picture polling, like for the Democrats. I've always thought this. Probably the worst thing that ever could have happened to Hillary Clinton is, is for her to be so ahead in the polls, allegedly, that probably a lot of people said, oh, well, it doesn't matter if I vote, right? To me, if I'm Joe Biden, maybe the best thing for him is going into a general election down whatever, five points, three points, one point, to actually motivate Democrat voters who are a little lazier, let's be honest, in terms of, <laughs> no, when I say lazy, like Republican voters, you can count on a, a sect of Republican voters. Whereas I think Democrats, and this is big picture, there needs to be more of that enthusiasm, the Obama enthusiasm. Now, maybe the enthusiasm this time around will be against Trump. And this was a long way of, of asking you. I, I just wonder if when you see when you see Haley's numbers, which that that poll you brought up earlier, which is Trump 50, Haley 34, DeSantis 5 in New Hampshire. I wonder if that encourages potential Haley voters to come out even more to try to make a make a game of this. I mean, is that me just again, I'm I'm more hoping for the sport. To make right. this to make this interesting for a couple months, am I am I crazy to think that? No, no, I think that's why. Look, New Hampshire voters, I think that's why they correct at Iowa so much. And Nikki Haley got into trouble for saying that, but it's true. And the way the reason they do that, I think, is because they take it seriously that they know that if they anoint the same winner that Iowa does, then races for the most part are over. And that's especially true this time with the strength of Trump. So I think they know that, and also the fact that it's not a closed primary. I think it's twenty three states have open primaries. That's where Haley is going to to make her hay in states with closed primaries, especially caucuses. There's no chance she's beating Trump. But in the states like New Hampshire that have open primaries where independents and Democrats can vote and can just show up on Election Day and switch their registration um, or, or announce themselves as undeclared and say, I'm going to vote in the Republican primary like you can in New Hampshire. That makes a difference because I have seen some people on the left, some Democrats say, look, Haley is the is the chance to stop Trump. So cross over and vote for Haley because it's not like Democrat. I mean, Dean Phillips is running and Marianne Williamson is running against Biden, but he has no real opposition. So it's not like there's a contested primary on that side. So it's here's here's my problem with Democrats. One of my problems with Democrats and you know, I have problems with both with both parties. But one of my problems with Democrats is you tell me that Trump is such an existential threat to our democracy. Right. And is 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 beyond the pale and is unlike anything we've ever seen and is a real threat to our institutions, which to some degree, I, I believe that's true. But then you also tell me, well, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are just as bad. And, or, or you tell me we, we shouldn't do everything we can to try to stop Trump. 
which is crazy to me. If you really believe that Trump is that big of a threat, then you should be pounding the drum in states like New Hampshire in these open primary states to say, go vote for Nikki Haley. You may not love her. We may not agree with her on everything, but she is right now the only chance to stop Trump short of the general election. She's it. And if she doesn't stop him, most likely, then it will be Joe Biden with the last chance to stop him. And so if you believe that stopping Trump is that big of a priority, then you should rally around Nikki Haley because she's all you got right now. And I think there will be that effect of everyone in the Republican Party and independents who don't like Trump, everyone in the Republican Party who's a never Trumper or, or thinks he will be a bad nominee, and everyone outside the party who's an independent who can vote in these states rallying around Nikki Haley. I think you will see that. Now, again, I want to be clear. I don't think that will be enough at the end of the day to win the nomination, but I think that will that rallying effect will happen in New Hampshire for sure. But we need to disagree more. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let's, say right now. Let's Here's, go. Let's go. And and this is this is a half disagreement. It's what you said about two minutes ago, where you said Democrats are saying that uh, DeSantis and Nikki Haley are just as bad as Trump. And I'm sure that's true on social media and with some media folks that have very loud megaphones. I like to still consider myself a pretty centrist Democrat from Ohio who lives in Missouri. And I would think there's a huge percentage of Democrats who don't think Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are the same as Trump. And it's, it's this huge swath of people. It's a bunch of Democrats. It's some of the never Trumpers. It's probably a lot of independents that just say, Joe Biden needs to go out to pasture. And I'm so sick and tired of Donald Trump Nikki Haley is fine. Again, I'm not saying Nikki Haley is going to be a great president. I'm not saying Ron DeSantis. I have no idea. It's more about just feeling comfortable with the vote. I think there's a lot of Democrats. Hey, look, I mean, they went through uh, Bush and Trump. They'll say, Nikki Haley, okay, Ron DeSantis, these are normal people. These are, these are normal folks. Okay, we don't agree on, on everything. But I think there's a lot of Democrats that are like, okay, Joe Biden's 80,000 years old. Nikki Haley's fine. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong on that. I think the media and social media won't tell you that. But I think if you, if you caucused, if you went out and talked to normal Democrats, I think a lot of them would say, yeah, dude, Ron DeSantis, okay, I'm not, I'm not a Republican, but DeSantis and Haley, they're fine, normal people. I don't know. I think it goes back to the tribal aspect, the the sportsification of politics, the team aspect that we've seen take hold in the last several years or decades. And that that um, sense that, OK, they're on the other team and that's not my team. And therefore, the other team is so outside of the realm of what I find acceptable that I can't support it no matter what. And I think that is a good chunk of the base of both parties is they just yeah. see the other side, whether it's Trump or not, whether it's Biden or not, they see the other side. And I agree, Trump and Biden, as we talked about it earlier in the show, they have unique baggage, each of them, that makes them even more unacceptable to the other side, right? But just the base level, of the unacceptability of anyone on the other team, I think is higher than it has been you know, since I've been following politics, maybe, you know, going back decades and decades, if not longer, it's just so many people just will not support the other team, no matter what. And they see them as 
Maybe, maybe they're different in degree. Sure. Maybe in their heart of hearts, they, they don't think that Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley would pose the same threats to democracy as Trump, but from a policy perspective, they see them as, as achieving, trying to achieve the same things. And so they look at them and say, well, maybe DeSantis and Haley aren't going to try to overturn an election, but they're just as dangerous in other ways as Trump is. And I think a lot of people really feel that way. And it's one of the sad things to me about our politics is we have become so so it's so tribal. Yeah. See, to me, and maybe I didn't, uh, I never usually explain it perfectly, but to me, there's a difference between supporting someone or, or voting for them and then not caring as much if they win. You know what I'm saying? Like, I totally get this. And I've said this forever. If you're a Democrat, for example, and this is what Democrats should probably run on because Biden is not popular, let's be honest, what they have going for them the whole Roe v. Wade situation, but also, you know, and it wraps into that is if I'm a Democrat, I say this is the most conservative, extreme Supreme Court that we've ever had. And you may not love Joe Biden, but we need to turn that court around. Again, that's that would be my campaign for Democrats. So I understand if you're a social Democrat, social Republican, you can always make the argument. I'm going to vote because I want the Supreme Court to to be folks are going to vote on things that I support. But to me, there's a difference of like, like for me, I can admit, I think I didn't like Donald Trump, didn't vote for Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump did a pretty good job as president. I think he was pretty dang good, actually. I can admit that a Republican did a good job as president. However, I think he tried to overturn the election. January 6th, to me, that's disqualifying. So in my opinion, look, the world's not going to end if Donald Trump is president again. It didn't end the first time. And that's by, by the way, that's another thing. Democrats can't run on that anymore. They can't say the world's going to end because that's what it was in 2016. The world will never be the same if Donald Trump wins. Well, the world's still here. Okay. There's a lot of issues and all that. I, I guess my, my point though is to me, I think there's a lot of Democrats that would say, okay, as long as it's not Trump, I didn't vote for Haley. I didn't vote for DeSantis, but it's okay. Life will go on. Yeah, I think there's some of those in the margins. Absolutely. And, th and that's why I think Haley would be a better general election candidate for Republicans than Trump, because of what you just said. There is that chance that she could peel off enough. What I'm saying, though, is both bases, which now encompass pretty much you know a large chunk of, of each party, are so entrenched that I don't think it really it really would matter. And that's that's kind of the point I'm making is. Yeah. Because you're right, in the margins where the elections decided, sure, I think Haley is more acceptable than Trump. But I think a lot of people, getting back to the point you made earlier, I don't think have really wrapped their head around the idea yet that this is going to be Biden and Trump. There's so many people on Republicans, Democrats, independents that I think either are wishing or actually believe that Joe Biden will not be the nominee, that Donald Trump will not be the nominee, or or that both will not be the nominees. And I think what's happening now, and you saw this after Iowa, is I think slowly people on both sides are starting to realize, no, the most likely scenario is that these two old, incredibly flawed human beings um, are going to be, one of them's going to be, you know, the president in January of 2025. And once, that's why I think the polling last year, I, I didn't really, you know, it, it was troubling for Biden to some degree, but I, I think what really matters is let's see where we are in the spring and summer when it becomes clear that these two people are the nominees. And then it's it's simply a choice of who do I like more or actually who do I dislike less. And that 
I think is going to be a really fascinating time because I think more so than ever, there are just so many people that are like wish casting that, oh, it's not really going to happen. It's probably going to happen. Yeah, whatever percentage you gave earlier, I think it was 15%, that Haley could still potentially beat Trump. I agree with you. It's not it's not 1%, but it's certainly not a toss-up. It's not 50%. She has a lot of work to do. And there's some Trump voters that are just with him, win, lose, or draw. On the other side of it, though, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not this big conspiracy theorist, but just some type of hijinks with the Democrat Party and, and Joe Biden. I don't know. I saw, I saw Gavin Newsom, you know, he was doing, as I think Vivek called it, a shadow campaign, right? I mean, he's like representing us in China playing basketball and he's knocking kids over playing basketball. <laughs> that was hilarious. He's, he's doing a debate with Ron DeSantis, with Sean Hannity that made no sense, but I watched it and it was very, it was very entertaining. I just, I feel like you don't do those things for no reason. I mean, maybe he's trying to, to uh, kind of raise his profile for 2028, although people kind of know who he is. But I don't know. Like, if you go back three, four months, I just felt like I saw way too much of Gavin Newsom for it to be a coincidence. So <laughs> I don't know, man. I just feel like there's some type of hijinks. When, when, when Joe Biden said last time, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the torch carrier. I'm going to pass the torch. Okay, well, you don't want to be a lame duck for too long. I don't know. Maybe this is me wish casting, but I just feel like there's a chance for some hijinks on the Democrat side. Do you think there's any, whatever it is, Biden says, I'm good. There's a health issue. Gavin Newsom. I don't know if you can replace Kamala, but I just wouldn't totally rule that out. No, I wouldn't either. I think you're right. And there is hope for that. If if you say there's a, if we said there's a 15% chance that Haley wins, that Trump's not the nominee, I think there's maybe a 30% chance that Biden's not the nominee. And I think that's, that's based on health and, and polling. And if you get to the convention and he has a health issue, he's, he's probably not going to be the nominee. Or if you get to the convention and he's down by eight, 10 points, there's a chance he's not the nominee. But if the election is where it is now, which is close, a point or two here or there, and he seems he doesn't have any major health scares, then I think he probably almost certainly will be the, the nominee. In terms of Newsom, I think what Newsom's doing is he's doing what a smart politician who wants to be president does, and he's putting himself in position. And that position could be 2024, but most likely it's 2028. And I think what he's doing is he's getting himself ready, showing that you know he can go to China and and meet with, you know, the mayor of China and also knock some kids over at basketball. And he can do that and he can and he can, you know, go out and, and debate Ron DeSantis and he's ready. And that's what he's trying to present himself as ready for most likely 2028 when it would essentially be an open primary on the Democrat side. But possibly if something happens, he he wants to position himself, I'm sure, to be the guy that's seen as, OK, we can throw him in at the last minute and he would be credible. He would he would give us a chance. He wouldn't embarrass us. He's ready for this moment of what I mean, if this happens, it would be a like a three month campaign. So you you would want to throw someone in there who a had some name recognition and B was a seasoned enough political operative that you felt like they could they they have experience running campaigns to the point where you could throw them in there and they could be credible in a three month campaign. What ticks me off is. If you go back earlier in the show, you you basically said how Joe Biden didn't do well in Iowa four years ago, but then he started to pick up momentum. 
we know it's basically South Carolina, a lot of African-Americans in South Carolina that, that got him elected. And it was kind of the Democrats coalescing and dropping out and saying, look, Joe Biden, he's not necessarily our first choice, but he has the best opportunity to beat Donald Trump. And I think that was true in 2020, and it worked. And for all those reasons I just mentioned, and I was just parroting what you said, I think the exact opposite is true now. I don't think Joe Biden is the best option at all. And, and this whole idea of Kamala Harris, we talked about this in the first episode. I mean, is she also, are these people so egotistical and so ambitious that for the good of the party, you know, Biden stepped aside for Clinton in 16. Biden did his thing in 2020. Can Joe Biden and, and Kamala Harris not look at the polls? Are they so arrogant? Do they think they can turn this around that they couldn't do what's best for the party? Because if Kamala Harris is so unpopular that even still 87,000-year-old Joe Biden is a better option, to me, they should both step aside for the good of the party, right? I mean, I know you can't do that because, again, she's a woman. She's a woman of color and all that. But are, I guess I know the answer. Are these people so arrogant, egotistical, and ambitious that they, they can't this time around do what's best for the party? Because I think almost anyone would agree that just somebody else, even Gavin Newsom has his own baggage. But at least he's young and can run around and show some energy and he can debate. I mean, Gavin Newsom, by the way, is a fantastic debater. He just makes yes. stuff up. I mean, he literally called – he literally – the way he – he called Ron DeSantis a lockdown governor. I saw that. I go, I go. this dude was born to be a politician. He, really he, will, say, he will say anything. Even that guy, just because he's young and he looks like a president from a movie, would be a better option than Joe Biden, I think. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you if I read one of the fact checks of that DeSantis and and conducive debate, and it was incredible. I mean, it went on and on with both of them just literally making stuff up and and completely distorting things. It, yeah, it really was kind of a shit show in that regard. But yeah, back to your point, the answer is yes. I mean, the answer to your question yeah. is yes. Like Paul, the reason they are there is because they believe they are the best person to do it. Right. And, and they really, I think in their heart of hearts, believe that. And so the ego to get to that level, the ambition is incredibly high. What, so what it would take, I think though, for Biden is, is unique because of his health and his age. So if he had an obvious health issue, like a Mitch, I said last week, like a Mitch McConnell moment where he just froze up for 30 seconds or 45 seconds. I mean, at that point it's, it's over. And I think he would I think he would recognize that if not, I think the party and that's the other point there. Are, there are people in the party who have an outsized influence and we know who they are. And those are the people, by the way, you mentioned 2020 Barack Obama, people in his orbit that got together behind the scenes and were making calls, I'm sure, to Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. And we're like, hey, you know, in 2020, like, come on, what are we doing here? After Biden, Biden, now look, Biden had to earn it. He had to win South Carolina for that to happen. Like if he had lost South Carolina, it didn't matter what Barack Obama said, right? It didn't matter what any of the power brokers said. If Biden had lost South Carolina, he was done. But when he showed life in South Carolina and he had that overwhelming victory, I think what happened then, people looked at him and Bernie and said, we better go with Biden. And so you saw that coalescing. But though that was done by the individual Democratic voter, I think. And it was also done and spearheaded by people like Obama. So if those people came to Biden at the convention and said, look, you've done a great job. You beat Trump. You, you had some tremendous legislative accomplishments, but you're down by 10 points. 
that people are worried about your health. There's there's really no chance you're going to win. For the good of the party, you have to step aside. That's what it would take. Yeah, and I was thinking, you, you kind of answered the question at the end there, but because I agree with you. I do think that is what happened. I do think Obama has a huge, huge uh, say in all of this, and Obama's a pretty a pretty smart guy. So I'm thinking, well, why the hell wouldn't he do that this time around when it's clear that you have to go the opposite direction? I think it, but two, see, here's the thing. Two things have to happen. If assuming Biden doesn't have a major health scare and he wants it, which I think is true. Two things have to happen. You have to have clear evidence that he's, that he's almost certain to lose. That's number one. And number two, that kind of goes with it. You have to have some evidence that somebody else is better. And that's kind of what we talked about last week. Like Kamala Harris, no better, often worse than Biden in polling. Newsom, tremendous amount of baggage with California and the situation going on here where I live. Who else? I mean, Michelle Obama, completely untested, you know, of any kind of a lie. Do you throw her out there when she's never run a race in her life? Would she even want to do it? And then everyone else is like a, a second or third tier candidate. So I think you have to have either a clear alternative who's pulling very well against Trump or Biden essentially in collapse and with no realistic chance to win. You have to have at least one of those two things, if not both, in order for this switch to occur. And I just think the country's so divided that even a weakened Biden will probably, my guess is most likely the polling now will be what the polling is when we get to the convention, which will be a point or two either way. And so at that point, you're like, well, we got a 50-50 shot with this guy. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we'll see. Not exactly inspiring, is it? That, no, that that's we are headed. I mean, but, that, but you know what? That is the, I mean, if you had a slogan for Joe Biden, it's what you just said. Not exactly inspiring. <laughs> Joe Biden, yeah. he's there, but he's not exactly inspiring. All right. He's better than this. Trump. That's what, yes. that's what their slogan is going for to Democrats, be. Yes. Um, all right. I was supposed to do this the first episode. Let's just give a little background here, Eric. We're pushing, uh, we're pushing an hour here, but uh, you and I, we kind of worked together in St. Louis at the same station, did a couple shows together. I always thought it'd be cool if you and I could do a, a show together, sports or whatever. Now we're talking politics, but give people uh, your background. Well, I started, I'm working in radio, um, mostly radio for God, 25 years now. Started in Pennsylvania, and that's really where I got into politics. That's where I grew up. And so back then, I was doing news talk, and I was inter I, I I loved interviewing our senators at that time in Pennsylvania were Rick Santorum, who we mentioned earlier, and Arlen Specter, Arlen who were both Spector. like really interesting, influential guys. I mean, Santorum was in the Republican leadership at that time. He was one of the most well known, certainly social conservatives in the country. He later, of course as I said, went on to run for president, won Iowa caucus. Specter was one of those kind of like moderates back when a lot more moderates existed. He actually switched parties later and became a Democrat, but he was always, you know, kind of an interesting guy. And so when I was interviewing those two and, and other politicians, I really kind of fell in love with politics. And I was like, you know, I may not agree with these guys on everything, but this is interesting. And so that's kind of where I started. And then I moved to Missouri. I worked in kind of rural Missouri. But again, we had an opportunity to interview a lot of politicians, congressmen, senators. And then I went to Texas, worked in San Antonio for a while, and then came back to Missouri and worked in St. Louis. And that's where you and I had a chance to, to work together a little bit there at 590 the fan doing sports talk. And so I've always, and now I live here in Southern California and my wife 
put on our wall this beautiful ocean there's not the real ocean behind me by the way you may you may have noticed so we have this beautiful ocean backdrop we live in santa monica a couple miles from the beach my wife works for fox news full disclosure and i also uh, worked full-time for fox news as a sports reporter on their uh, sirius xm channel uh, 115 fox news headlines 24 7 i worked there full-time up until a few weeks ago now i'm a, a freelance guy so i i'm i'm going to be on here or there doing the sports on that channel and i also again full disclosure occasionally appear on fox news as well on fox news at night which is a, is a show that airs at midnight eastern time um, or I'm sorry, 11 o'clock Eastern time, 8 a.m. out here Pacific time and is shot here um, in Los Angeles. So I occasionally appear on that show as well. Very cool. And and for myself, um, I've been in sports pretty much my whole life. My first job, Upper Peninsula of Michigan out of college, I did do news. So I cover a little local politics in the Upper Peninsula of freaking Michigan back in what? That had been 2004. But the, in college, I went to Bradley University studied radio, TV, and also history. I think my, my uh, appetite for politics has a lot to do with, with history. I've just always been very into, you know, why things happen. And to me, I always look at things with kind of a big historical context, like everything. Okay. Something happened now, really, it got put into motion 10 years ago, or you might blame this president, but Oh, actually that bill happened uh, under three presidents before that, that caused something to happen uh, you know, a decade or so later. So I'm very into history. I did sports, local sports in the upper peninsula for a couple of years, Lansing, Michigan, a couple of years in St. Louis for what, 14 years, did radio on and off a bunch of shows. Um, I started YouTube three years ago doing St. Louis Cardinals baseball. And then now Kenny Wallace, the uh, former NASCAR driver, I produce and appear on that channel. That's probably 80% of my time is NASCAR now, maybe 20% Cardinals baseball, but I'm, I'm following politics. This last radio show I did the last couple of years, we talked more politics. And again, you know, you mentioned this earlier, Eric, but you mentioned kind of the, uh, whatever you want to call it, the, the YouTubosphere of talking heads who are very anti-Nikki Haley, very pro Vivek and Trump. I've really seen that because I'm now like in a YouTube world even though it's sports, this channel we're posting on is going to be news and politics. You kind of have to separate niches in YouTube, but I've really seen that. I mean, the Patrick Bet Davids, uh, I don't even know all their names, but there's so many people that are very anti-Nikki Haley, very pro-Vivek. I've also thought this. I think with young voters, you can even go to like the Nelk Boys, who are these young guys who came up as pranksters. Um, Republicans have always had problems with young voters. I think they're doing a great job on the podcast and the YouTube of having all these right-wing politicians, media types, making them look cool, right? They're sitting with the guys, they're talking UFC. I think that's a big problem for Democrats, actually, is when I go through YouTube, I see a lot of Republicans that are talking sports and talking politics, and guys are like, hey, those guys are pretty cool. I like those guys. I don't see a lot of that on the Democrat side at all. No, I think that's right. And look, the new media, like kind of what we're doing here, has become so much more influential and powerful in the last several years. It really has. And YouTube is a big part of that and social, uh, all social media podcasts. And you're right. Conservatives have done a really nice job of not taking over that space, but they are way more competitive yes. in that space. And I would even say have an advantage in that space, certainly than they do 
in the traditional media realm where let's face it, most of the major outlets in the country print, uh, certainly television skew left They're they're center left or even sometimes far left. And so this has become the outlet for so many people on the right. And they have had a tremendous influence in getting that message out and making people like, look, Vivek Ramaswamy would not have been a political player 10 years ago. Like people would have been like, this guy's a little nutty. Right. But when you hear his ideas and, things similar to what he says referenced in some of these online areas, it gives them more credence and more credibility. I always said Ramaswamy to me, when you would see him like at the debates, he was a test of how well do you know what's going on in conservative media? Because when he would, some of his answers, he would talk for 30 or 45 seconds. And I knew what he was talking about for the most part, because like you, I'm kind of, you know, I, I monitor that world. But if you didn't monitor that world, you would have no idea what the hell this guy was talking about some of the time. You'd have been like, what? You know, what did he say about January 6th? What is going on? And so you're right. It, but, for better and for worse, because there are a lot of downsides to this. We are in a whole new world when it comes you know, to the media. And I'm going to wrap this up, but that's what's crazy is, and I heard Vivek say this, he, when he stopped, when he stopped um, investing in TV ads. Now, maybe that was because the war chest was also getting low, but he said, look, man, like we're doing a different deal. But that being said, primary voters, they are the older, they're the Fox News voters. That's the people that vote in the primary. I can see how there's probably some people, they didn't know who Vivek probably was. I remember the first time I saw Vivek was on Real Time with Bill Maher, like a year and a half ago. But there's probably some Republican voters that if they watch Fox News and traditional media, dude, when I go to YouTube, which is, I spend probably 80% of my time on YouTube and maybe 20% on X in terms of, of social media, Vivek Ramaswamy is as out there as anyone in the world. I'm yeah. talking about doing Every single big podcast, everything. It's him. RFK Jr. is also that way. Those guys in the newer media, which may not matter as much now, but 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, when when our age groups and younger are the dominant voters, I mean, I'm telling you, Vivek, you know this, and RFK Jr., they're the ones that are dominating YouTube, dominating podcasts. Yeah, I I think Democrats need to do a better job of this. You're so right. Like uh, they have they have some like Pod Save America is a huge former Obama staffers. They have a huge following. But if you just kind of go to YouTube and I do this occasionally, just because I mean, you've pointed this out to me before. People use YouTube as a search engine. Yeah. And if you search certain topics on YouTube and I do this from time to time just to try to gather more information, a lot of what comes up in that search oftentimes is right leaning and sometimes very right-leaning stuff. And I don't see on certain topics nearly as much stuff from people who are are center-left or on the left. And so I think you're right. Republic conservatives, I shouldn't even say Republicans because some of them probably don't even identify as Republicans, but conservatives, what I would call it is the new right, the populist right. Because again, the, the labels don't mean as much as they used to. And so sometimes when we say these things, we mean 
people don't understand what we're talking about because we say something that doesn't apply to people. So I would just kind of label it broadly as I call it the new right. It's the it's the Trump populist right. It's not necessarily conservative, although there's some overlap there. It's not even necessarily Republican. But that new right has really done a great job on YouTube. And in the future, if Democrats and, and the left want to get into this game, they're going to need to get into this game. You're right, because it is having an effect, no question about it. And it's not just the candidates. It's also the thought leaders. And I know some Fox News viewers, I'm sure they now know, you know, Ben Shapiro has been around, Jordan Peterson. But I didn't know who Jordan Peterson was until I started doing YouTube myself for work about three years ago. This dude owns YouTube. I mean, Jordan Peterson is arguably with Ben Shapiro, whoever. I mean, Joe Rogan obviously has the biggest podcast. But Jordan Peterson is one of the biggest superstars on YouTube and podcast. And I didn't even know who this dude was. Again, I see a lot of these guys. Give Bill Maher credit. Bill Maher has a lot of Republicans on his show. A lot of these people I'm talking about, the first time I ever saw Jordan Peterson was on Real Time. First time I ever saw Ben Shapiro was on Real Time. First time I ever saw, who else did I mention? Oh, Vivek, a year and a half ago, was on Real Time. But these dudes dominate YouTube. I know the left has, you mentioned Pod Save America. David Pakman has a good good podcast, but... I mean, Rogan even. Rogan's pretty down the middle. If you really watch Rogan, he's a social he's a social liberal for the most part. I mean, now he doesn't like Biden at all, but he's pretty down the middle. But the right is dominating YouTube, and uh, the left has to catch up there for sure. Absolutely. I mean, who are, like, think about those names you mentioned. Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Megyn Kelly is another one. Yeah. Um, Bill O'Reilly, who used to be on Fox, he has a pretty pop. Like, who are the left equivalents to those people in terms of following? I just so, don't think the left has nearly the amount of people with those kinds of massive followings on some of these platforms. Yeah. So David Pakman is another guy that if you watch CNN and MSNBC, you probably don't know who he is. Once I got into YouTube, this dude has a huge following. He's kind of one of the strong liberals on YouTube. Um, Chris Cuomo now is getting yeah. into the digital world. He's pretty moderate, actually, if you really watch him. Even like Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan's kind of down the middle. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's conservative on some things and liberal on, on the others, but it, it, it's, it's hard to find five of them where I can, I can run off five conservatives. Easy. Yeah, easy. absolutely. All right, cool. All right, we'll wrap it up. Everybody settle down. Episode two, fun times. Eric Messersmith. Thank you, buddy. Uh, comment, like subscribe, share the video, share the show, share the channel. And we'll put this on podcast as well. The views were pretty good on that on that uh, first one. And also the clips, we kind of clip it up down to smaller chunks and people are liking it. So Eric, thank you, sir. We'll see you next week. All right, Charlie. Have a great week. You too. See everybody.